you, Jesus. So I have been preaching for the um, past number of weeks um, on authority. And if you remember before that, I, I preached a long series on the altar and what uh, the, the gift of the altar and what the altar is. There, there is a prophetic thread moving through these messages. I hope you're picking up on it because we, that is Kathy and I, we notice that there is a prophetic intentionality in what I've been preaching, that God is speaking words and messages to us for our time, for this time. Um, we need to be hearing these words and we need to be understanding that they are keys to locking up the strategies of the enemy against us and releasing the doors of heaven. And they are keys to understanding how God wants us to obey him. So if you have not been re-listening, you know, you can go on YouTube, you can go to faithchristianchurch.com. They're all there in consecutive order. If you haven't been re-listening and getting it in your spirit, go back. Go back and listen. See if you can pick up that thread and hear the rhema word. Hear what the Spirit is saying, not just to this church, but to the church in general by and large. And you'll get so much more out of it if you hear the Lord speaking through the message and don't just go, wow, came, I got encouraged, good message, pastor, that was wonderful. I, I agree. So God wants more than agreement. He's trying to put something into our hearts and it'll change how your week goes. It'll change how your month goes. It'll change how your life goes. So Luke chapter 10 and verse 19, I've been uh, sharing each week where Jesus says, Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. What I want to do this morning is I want to pick up the verse just before it. Verse 18. I want to read from there and then verse 19. And just so that you understand the context, you remember perhaps the story where Jesus sends out the 70 disciples and he gives them authority to heal sickness and to cast out devils. And they come back after they've been out uh, in the villages and towns preaching, and they come back all excited, and they said, Lord, Master, even the devils have been subject to us. And Jesus responds. Jesus gets all happy and excited. He dances a little jig. He's praising God, thanking the Father that the Father's revealed this um, to his disciples. And he says this, I beheld Satan like lightning, fall from heaven. So behold and understand, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk, which in the original Greek, the best translation we can get in the modern English is stomp on. So you can, we're not talking about shuffling your feet over the enemy, stomping. Imagine if you were walking and you all of a sudden looked down and found a baby rattler under your feet. You would stomp on it. I saw a baby rattler uh, pygmy rattler going for Kathy. She was barefooted going for her feet. I leaped off the front of the pickup truck, had cowboy boots on, landed, heel right on his head, crushed him till he quit squiggling around, and then we went on and enjoyed our peanuts in, in frosty RC colas and <laughs> praise God. So at any rate, Jesus said, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy. You can stomp on, walk 
among snakes and scorpions, stomp on them and crush them. Wow, what a picture, what a picture. So when Jesus announces to us that he gives us authority over all, not some, all the power of the enemy, he plants this vision in our minds of the irresistible force with which Satan is expelled from Jesus' presence. He says, I beheld Satan like lightning fall from heaven. Now let me just take a moment and encourage you to just hover the field around that statement for a minute. Like lightning. You know how when you drop a feather, you almost have to kind of chase it around the room because it just drifts. It's over here. It's over here. Slowly, eventually, it comes in for a soft landing. Um, Satan wasn't dragging his heels. He wasn't taking his time. The Bible says he was shot out of heaven. If you live in Florida, you know what lightning is. <laughs> Jesus said, I saw Satan shot out of heaven like lightning. Bam! Hit the ground. Nothing soft about it. He was expelled. He was shot out of heaven. Now, Jesus says to his disciples, I, I the Messiah, I saw this. Now, what Jesus is referring to, he's not just referring to when, when Lucifer fell and took a third of the angels. He is really talking about Revelation chapter 12, which is about to happen in not too many days from the time where he's talking to his disciples. Because Jesus is eternal. He sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. He said, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. Before it even happened, Satan's expulsion from heaven. Jesus is prophesying it. He says, I want you to understand something. When I enter in the gates of glory, when I rise from the dead victorious through Calvary's cross over all the works of the devil, when I come through those gates, they're going to lift up their heads just as the psalmist prophesied, and they're going to say, who is this king of glory? He is the Lord mighty in battle. And then the Bible says a chorus of angels from heaven are going to cry out and say, as Jesus enters through the gates, now is come salvation, deliverance, and healing. Now is come the kingdom of our God, and the accuser of the brethren is cast down, and his voice shall never again be heard in heaven. Wow, that's what Jesus is talking about. What shot the devil out of heaven was the arrival of Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead back to his throne of glory, he came back to glory not just as the God of eternity, the Word made flesh, that left glory 33 years earlier, he comes back with an extension of his nature called humanity. He is the God-man. He is the God-made flesh. Now, when Jesus, the eternal God, comes through the gates of glory, a man is coming through the gates of a glory. A man and God mixed together. That's why he is our Redeemer. Hallelujah. And so when he enters in, triumphant over the enemy, the Bible says Satan is shot out the back door like lightning. That's the irresistible force. I want you to say force. He didn't, he wasn't able to put up an argument. He wasn't able to say, but, but, but. 
He was shot out of heaven by the entrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, that's what I give you. You know, I, at, I was picturing a little more of a reaction at that point when I went through this in my mind. I don't know. But at any rate, that's all right. That's all right. I, knew you'd, I know you're doing cartwheels on the inside. So Jesus, Jesus is saying, look, therefore, he said, when I give you authority over all the power of the enemy, he's looking at when Satan was cast down. The Bible goes on to say in Revelation 12 that he's cast down to the earth and an announcement comes from heaven. Woe unto you, O earth, because the accuser, the devil, is cast down to you, having great wrath. So there's this warning with which, bam, the lightning hits the earth. But Jesus makes sure ahead of time that we know, I give you authority over this rascal. I don't care how much venom he's got. I don't care about the intensity of his lies, his threats, whatever power he might have. I give you something with which you can control him. I give you authority, my authority. And just so that you know, my authority, just showing up, drove him like lightning out of heaven. So when you are praying, taking authority over the enemy, when you are praying and interceding, getting full of the Holy Spirit, seeking the Father. You're not even saying, Satan, I bind you, Satan. He is being shot out of your presence. The more of the presence of Jesus, the more of the anointing of the Holy Ghost that you allow into your life, the faster Satan and the farther Satan is cast out of your life. You want to get the devil out of your business? Just spend time in the presence of God getting full of the Holy Ghost. Then go out and do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Start walking in obedience. You say, well, you know what? Uh, you know, I, 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 I sought the Lord. I got filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and one of the signs of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is trouble. You know, they say tongues is the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. The second sign is trouble. The minute you get filled with the Holy Ghost, remember the Bible says Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost at the River Jordan, and he immediately goes out into the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, Satan comes after him. But what happened at the end of those 40 days? Bam! Satan flees from him, he's shot from his presence. The third time Jesus said, it is written. He doesn't even call him you dog or say, I bind you. He just says, it's written. And that was it, that's all the devil could take. I give you authority. I give you authority. So, your maturity as a Christian really depends on your understanding the authority that God has given you and how to use it. These messages are so important. This morning, I want to talk about the baptism of authority. I specifically want to reference the baptism in the Holy Spirit, how that God's complete plan for for you and I living as Christians in the world is not just that we get saved, not just that our lamb is written in, name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but that we receive the impartation of power, the power of the Spirit. Now I know that when you were born again, the Holy Spirit enters you and resides within you. But on the day of Pentecost, those were a bunch of saved people praying several days together in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father wasn't that they would get saved. The promise of the Father was that 
he would fill them and anoint them with the mantle of authority that had rested on Jesus. That when Jesus rose from the dead, just like when Elijah was taken up in the chariot, the mantle would fall from Elijah and Elisha would pick it up and he'd have a double portion of the anointing that was on prophet Elijah. Elisha, Elisha went out and performed 24 miracles in his life where Elijah, his predecessor, performed 12. So Jesus said, the works that I do, you'll do in greater because I go to the Father. And what is significant about my going to the Father is I'm going to take my mantle of authority off and I am going to put it on you. It's called the baptism in the Holy Ghost. They were huddled in the upper room praying. They were waiting on God. The Lord had given them this scary commission. Go into all the world. The devil will tremble at your feet. Well, they were still kind of trembling. Jesus had been crucified. They didn't feel very powerful. They were, like so many of us, they were very, really in touch with their humanity, with their weakness, their neediness. But suddenly, like a rushing mighty wind, bam, the Holy Ghost comes in on the day of Pentecost. They're all filled. Nobody's wondering what's going on. They instantly know this is that which was spoken by the prophet. This is that power, praise God. Your authority that God has given you is both positional and it is also functional. You have been given both the position and the force of Jesus' authority, both. The position and the force. With your born-again experience, Jesus lifts you to the position of his authority. But with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, he fills you with the power to manifest that authority. It's one thing to be given a badge and be commissioned as a law enforcement officer. But if you're going out into a lawless territory, you need more than a badge. You need the power to back it up because you you're going to run into, you know what lawless people do? They don't obey the law. When you say stop, they're going to keep coming. So you're not going to stop them by flashing your badge. There needs to be something else. There needs to be a weapon that you can draw. That'll stop them. The authority is both positional and it's a force to back that authority. Our authority that Jesus has given us is an anointing, meaning that it's a gifted impartation of divine power to continue Jesus' ministry as his ambassadors. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead and he said, it is finished, there were still a lot of unsaved people left in the world. There were a lot of devils running around loose. There was a lot of work to continue. Jesus left us with a mission. He left us with an assignment. And it wasn't just to see if you could get through life and stay safe so that you can go to heaven. The vision that, that, that God gives us as followers of Christ is that of triumphant ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, taking authority and dominion over the works of the devil. We go through trouble just like everybody else. But people ought to see us when the fire comes upon us, when we pass through the rivers. 
They ought to see the supernatural power of God meeting our needs, us taking authority over the enemy and seeing the answers come to pass. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, there's two times when Jesus tells us that we are not to go out and preach to try to fulfill our assignment until we have received this power that goes along with the authority. He's given us the position, but we have to have the power. So just before Jesus is crucified, he says to them at the end of Luke, uh, or right there at the end, rather, he says to Luke, this message will be proclaimed in the authority of my name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And here's the message. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Now you are witnesses, Jesus continues, of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. They already have their assignment. They already have the gospel. They already have their mission. Don't go with just the authority of my name. You need to have the power in you to use that name, or you're going to end up like the seven sons of Sceva. The other time he mentions it is after he's risen from the dead, and he's with his disciples, and, and they're, they're so glad to see him. And they start asking him, well, are you going to restore the kingdom? Is this, is this the end? Of, are, are we going to see you now put down the enemy and, and establish your kingdom now that you're risen? What? There's nothing holding you back. This is your chance. It's your opportunity. Go for it. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has reserved in his own time. But here's what I have for you, Jesus said. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Here we go. We're getting to you and I now in the USA. And even to the remotest part of the earth. That's us. When Jesus said that in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, we weren't even alive yet. So the remotest part of the earth had not been reached. Sometimes preachers don't like to try to say that 100 A.D., about 60 years after Jesus uh, was crucified and rose from the dead, they compiled the scriptures together and they had basically the, 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 the composition of what we know today as a complete Bible for the most part. And they say at that time, miracles and signs and wonders ceased because there was no need for them. How totally ridiculous how totally absurd can we be? Because out of the mouth of Jesus said, I'm giving you power that's supposed to last until you've reached the ends of the earth. Yes, amen. So we haven't reached the ends of the earth yet. We need this power. Yes. If they needed it in the first century, honey, we need it today. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? You can't walk up to demon spirits and go, I got a Bible. Next time you lose your job, Next time, three or four economic disasters hit your life all in one week, and you're like, this is, this, is a, this is a strategy. This is an attack of the enemy. 
It's great to comfort yourself with the scriptures. I don't want to take anything away or diminish the word of God. But you can take the Bible off your coffee table and read it to yourself all day long. Devil's not going to let up on you. He's going to just keep cranking that vice. What do you need to break that attack from off of your life? Let me give you another scenario. You go out and share the gospel with somebody. You're telling somebody about Jesus, but they're bound up. They're bound up in, in some kind of a miserable set of uh, circumstances in their home life. They're bound up in some economic trouble. They're bound up in some sickness, or they're just bound up in their head. And their mind is under some kind of a control of the world. And you've been sharing the gospel with them, and you know, they're kind of getting it, but it's just not getting through. They haven't not given their life to the Lord. And you've just thrown every verse that you possibly can. The devil's not going to let go of that soul that he's got. How are you going to wrench him out of the devil's sins? You need to bring the power of the Holy Ghost. You need to pray, say, Holy Spirit, show me how to pray. Show me how to bind these demons. And just like in the book of Acts, if you really pray and listen, oftentimes he will speak to you something to do that involves one of the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he may say to you, I want to operate through you in the gift of working of miracles. Go over to your friend's house, lay hands on them, cast that spirit of addiction out, and they, they will be released. They will be released. Lay hands on them, command that sickness to go, they'll be healed. That may help them make their decision. So understand that when he sends you out to preach, it's not just the assignment. You need the power. The authority has to have power and position. So Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father said. I want you to know that you shall receive power to be my witnesses to the uttermost part of the earth. Now let me tell you this about our authority. Our authority absolutely is completely opposite of the authority that the world uses. Our authority does not come from the world. All the authority in the world is based in social or political influence. You only have authority if you get people to do what you want them to do. That's why your boss is your boss. That, that's why, whether for good or for evil, people with authority have obtained that authority either through some sort of social maneuvering or some sort of political maneuvering, whether by evil force or whether by good deeds. Nobody in this world has authority without winning the world and using the world system to have that authority. But God's authority that comes through Jesus Christ is totally different. You can be a nobody. Nobody follows you. Nobody listens to you. You don't influence anyone. And on the social register, you don't even show up as a blip on the radar. But you can have Jesus' full mantle of authority because it does not depend on your standing in the world. Doesn't depend on your pop popularity. Doesn't depend on how smart you are. You could be the dullest knife in the drawer. And heaven will back you up before it'll back up the person that's got, you know, 5,000 likes on Facebook and 1,000 followers. 
Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. In other words, he's saying, that's not where the authority is going to come from. By elevating yourself, by thinking, you know, who I am. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but listen, think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So where does heavenly authority come from? Thinking with the faith that the Holy Spirit brings you. Thinking with the faith that God has assigned you. When you estimate yourself, if you want to know where is my standing in the world, you don't go to the world to find out. You go on your knees. You go before God. You ask, what is my standing in the world? Father, who do you say I am? What does your word say? The Holy Spirit will impart faith to you. Every single Christian has a gift from the Holy Spirit called the gift of God's grace. And his faith comes with it. And so that faith teaches you who you are. That is where your authority comes from. It's from your faith that God has given you in your relationship with him. Now the secret of our power, the secret of our authority is in receiving the spirit of authority. It's not by going out and making things happen. This is one of the things, including myself, that we as Christians always struggle with. We have an assignment. We have a project. We need to go out. We need to collect some money. We need to get some people to cooperate with us. Maybe we have to talk with our wife, talk, speak with our husband. We have to get people on. I understand if you're going to do things in the world, you've got to have cooperation. But your authority to move forward in anything that God has given you, while you may have to do those things, that's not where the authority comes from. The authority comes from receiving the spirit of authority from the Father, from the Holy Spirit. It's opposite of the world's way. Our authority is not obtained by popularity, but by receiving the Spirit's leading and then doing what the Spirit shows you to do. I think one of the biggest sins that we, and I include myself in this, is when we discount, dismiss, or disobey the leading of the Holy Spirit. God has sent the Holy Spirit into our life. But because he is a still small voice oftentimes, he gets drowned out. If you spend too much time looking for your answers through the television set, through Facebook, or through your friends, if the minute you're faced with a situation, you don't want to jump on the telephone, come on now, and call your two or three counselors, and find out if, if you're too in tune to worldly sources, you're going to drown out your ability to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. The first place you and I need to go is on our knees with everything before God. All of a sudden, you see some little doodad hanging off your side and it's all red and inflamed. And the first place you go is to Google. Dr. Google, help! Help, and you, you're trying to figure out, how do I phrase this red ugly thing on my side? What is this? And You know, and you, you're, you're, you're learning all about it. You're diving. You're doing the deep dive in. Next thing, you've spent three days researching. You are so full of fear. 
You're so terrified. You got one foot in the grave. You're trying to find out who, what doctors I can find. I'm dying. I'm dying over here. Doesn't anybody care? You see, you, the trains left the station. You're still there. You're not even, you're not, you're in no position to hear the Holy Spirit. You're not even listening to what he's saying. The first thing you need to do, don't jump on a Google, jump on your knees. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And you bet that's why it's a good thing to know the Bible. Because when he talks, he talks Bible. Amen. Talks the word. John, my lion. Hallelujah. So our authority comes from knowing what the Holy Spirit's saying and doing it. Listen to this in Acts chapter 3, 1 through 6. Popular story. Um, I know you're familiar with it. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in a three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from his birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people that were going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, Look at us. Now, he, he was already looking at them. But Peter was looking for something. He, he wanted him to look with a little more intent. He wanted him to look beyond his wallet. Look at us. Look at us. Isn't it amazing? He didn't say, buddy, you need to look to Jesus. What did he say? Look to us. Why? Because Jesus was hiding in Peter. The gift was in Peter. The answer was in Peter. And Peter knew it. We pawn off on prayer. We pawn people off. And it's okay to tell people to pray. But I'll tell you, I believe when we get to heaven, we're going to find hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of failed opportunities to be used of God because we told people we'll pray or I'll pray with you or pray, seek God. When the answer was in you, you should have been given it. But you hadn't been listening to the Holy Spirit. You, have, you haven't developed a sense of your own authority in Christ. But listen to it. That's not what Peter did. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at him eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. I love that. I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, Get up and walk. And he jumped to his feet. And they went hopping and leaping and praising God into the temple. Hallelujah. Listen. By the authority of Jesus' name, Peter said, I give you what I have. What I have. This is where this message really comes down to it for you and I. We know that we have positional authority. We know the Bible says, with his stripes you were healed. We know, behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. But how often do we actually apply that authority in situations like this and see these kinds of results? These are the results Jesus expected. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? This is the lifestyle that he expects from you and I. How often do we actually 
see the power of the authority. We, prayer, pray, we pray prayers that sound authoritative, but they, they often don't get any results. There's a missing element. It's the power to apply that authority. Why did Peter have the power? Now, before I give you the answer, and it's quite simple, let me just say that theologians and preachers and pastors have tried to get themselves out from under pressure from their congregations and people coming to them saying, I prayed and I, how come we don't, how come we're not seeing the results? They have come up with all kinds of theological patches, theological connective materials to help connect why we're not seeing the manifestation of the kingdom of God over the enemy and the scripture that says we ought to be kicking the devil's tail out of the county. Are you listening to me? So they have to come up with theological reasons. And so what they do is they say, well, you know, um, you know, those things only happened in the first century until they got the Bible together. Now we have the Bible and everything. You know, so there's all these reasons, all these reasons, tons of them. I want to encourage you to dump all that. Be courage, courageous enough to say, you know what? I'm a total failure at healing the sick, raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind. I'm a total failure at driving devils out of the situation. But that's not God's fault, and it's not because God wants it, and it's not because I'm supposed to be a failure. What did Peter do so that he knew he had something to give? It wasn't theology from which Peter spoke. He had something, a substance. Faith is a substance. He had something in him. It was called the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How he knew he had it, he just spent day after day with the church in the upper room doing what? Praying morning, noon, and night. They had a prayer meeting that went on and on and on till the Holy Ghost fell. Let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit fell while they were in the middle of praying. I see oftentimes people try to receive the Holy Spirit, but they're not doing any praying. They're not doing any praising, not doing any worshiping. Their mouth is closed. I'm ready. Come on, Holy Spirit, penetrate this rock. Penetrate this dirt clod. Break in, Holy Spirit. If you're supposed to fill me, and if I'm supposed to speak in tongues, if I'm supposed to have prophetic utterance, just make me do it. He's not going to do it. He's just going to sit there going. Do what they did in the Bible. Well, well, I am doing what they did. I'm asking. No, no, no. They were asking. You're wishing. Wish in one hand, spit in the other. See which fills up first. Wishing is not praying. Wanting is not praying. Praying is praying. They were not only praying, they were praying together. You know, when we call little prayer meetings here, I get two or three people. It's getting kind of quiet in here. Call a prayer meeting, I might get two or three people to come. It's the last thing on everybody's list, last thing we do. We, and, and it, well, I pray at home. Well, I, I, you know, I pray in my closet. The Bible says they got together and prayed. They got in one accord. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They were all together in one place. And suddenly, the Holy Ghost came. This is why Christians, charismatic 
spirit baptized, Bapticostals, all kinds, you know, Christians, Catholic charismatics, I don't care what denomination, but they believe in the supernatural manifestation of Lord Jesus, but they don't have it in their lives. It's not flowing in their churches. It's on their sign, it's on Facebook, but it ain't happening. Why isn't it happening? Nobody gets together and prays out loud. Waits on God, calls on God, prays and worships the Lord. The Bible says, open your mouth and I'll fill it. There's a difference between opening your mouth and praising God. Lord, I, I'm thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Oh God, oh, I don't want anyone to hear me. Lord, I'm, I'm hungry. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. While they were speaking, the Bible says, the Holy Ghost fell like tongues of fire. Okay, now this is good Bible preaching right here. I, you, know, you know what I'm saying? This is good Bible preaching. It, I mean, it really is. Hallelujah. Just in case you don't know. So Peter says, <laughs> by the authority of Jesus' name, I give you what I have. Peter received what he had through praying with the body for day after day. That's how he received it. People like to say, well, it's because he was an apostle. You know, apostle can just lay up in bed, not bother to go to the prayer meeting. An apostle ain't going to have anything to give when he walks by the lame man. I don't care what title you have. I don't care what calling you've got. There are plenty of people that have callings, gifts, and everything. Not doing anything with them. And yet the common believer, no title, no, no, no great you know, uh, uh, acknowledgement from the church or anything, they come before God, they pray, guess what? They get filled. The Bible says, be filled speaking among yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody from your heart with the, to the Lord. Amen. I mean, it's right there. Hallelujah. So you don't get together, you don't worship, you don't praise God, you don't pray together, you don't lift up the Lord, then it's no big mystery why you're not filled. I mean, that, that's just, again, it's pretty good Bible preaching right there, praise God. We need to pray without ceasing to remain full enough to have it to give. That's, that's a, really all I'm saying. If we're going to be full enough to have it to give, such as I have, I give you, then we're going to have to spend time receiving. It's not, oh, you know, 20 years ago I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, you, you blew through those fumes a long time ago. Are you listening to me? You used up that energy a long time ago. You've been running on empty for a long time. If you want to have the authority and the power of authority, expect resistance. I'm going to kind of end my message on this theme, so I'll talk about this for a few minutes. Satan's strategy to hold on to power in a world that's filled with Christians running all over the place is to throw all of his resistance against receiving the Holy Spirit's filling and gifts. I'll give you a classic example. Back in the 70s and 80s, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a church where they were prophesying, praying in tongues, casting out devils, and supernatural power of God was moving. Everywhere, all over America. That is so rare today. 
That has, that has over the past handful of decades, has evaporated from the church. There's no time, no place given to the gifts of the Spirit, no manifestation, no altar calls to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It just doesn't happen anymore. So while, while the, the, the church being Spirit-filled and filled with the Holy Spirit diminished, guess what rose to fill the gap, to fill the void left by a Spirit-filled church vacating? All of the crazy, woke, Marxist, perverted nonsense that's running down the street with your kids. Where did all that come from? Look, you can, you can go Google all this stuff. You can get a you know, sociopolitical degree, um, you can, poli-sci degree. You can study all this culturally. But the real simple answer is a great big void in the spirit realm was left when the church retreated from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It left a giant gap and the demons just filled it. Now there's some truth. That, that's, that's the truth. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. That phrase probably best translated is, is forcibly entered. So let me just pause the phrase and back up. Jesus is saying from the days of John the Baptist until now, people are forcibly entering the kingdom of God. They're having to fight to get in. Do you understand? That's what he's saying. So from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent, not the violent in the negative sense, but the violent in the sense of being fervent and being determined. The fervent and determined take it by force. So here's the picture. Here's the kingdom of God. Here's the great gates of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the door. He's saying, come to me. But right in front of Jesus' face, out there in the world, right slap up against the gates of the kingdom of God, Satan has parked all of the armies of hell. And they are fighting. They're fighting every Christian who needs to get in and get a refill. They're, and you know, you know they're there at the gates. Because here's how I know. I know in my own life. I say to myself, you know, I need to spend some more time with the Lord. That thought will be there and I'll kind of get in my mind's eye. Be spending some more time praying without ceasing and everything. A week later, I'll wake up with the same thought. A week went by, I didn't do anything. Didn't change anything. Still shackled to the same pattern. That's how I know demons are parked at the gate. A week before, I said, I need to get in there. I need to get in there and get refilled. I need to get in there and get more of the anointing. A month later, you still haven't done it. Don't blame yourself. Don't beat yourself up. There are devils operating through people you love, circumstances you enjoy. The devil's not fighting you with a big, ugly red head and horns and a pitchfork and I'm evil. And No, he's fighting you with your responsibilities. He's fighting you with your busyness. It's called the tyranny of the urgent. It's the nutty relative that's 
calling you up on the phone all the time, you know, and you're just, there you are, running off, giving your time and attention to them. You don't know how to say no. I'm the same way. Satan fights any kind of entering into the kingdom. Once you are entering the kingdom, what does that mean? You're on your face seeking God. You're calling out on the name of the Lord. You're waiting on God. You're getting filled with the anointing and with the Holy Ghost. I'll tell you something else. When you're telling people about Jesus and you're witnessing to people, they're trying to get in the gates. And Satan's fighting them. You ever watch how hard it is for people to get saved nowadays? It's tough. They're being fought. It says, the fervent and determined take it by force. People have to fight their way in. You have to be determined. Somebody say amen. amen. There's a struggle at the gates of the kingdom where Satan's forces are resisting every end. Uh, effort to enter in. So that's why the Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. So I want to cl close with this last verse of Scripture. And when I read it, I want you to think about there are more and more Christians today that are dropping out of church. All I have to do is look around. They just don't go. They're not giving up on Jesus. They're not giving up on the Bible. But they don't fellowship. They fellowship with their buddies or their friends, but they're not in church. They're not, they're not in a Bible-believing church. They're not in a spirit-filled church. They're not following an assignment that God's giving a body of people. Jesus designed this authority and power to work in the church. And I'm going to share with you a verse. It's going to make it very plain to you. Let me, let me sh share with you where Satan's operating. There are tons of deceived Christians out there who've got all kinds of legitimate reasons why they're no longer connected to fellowship in a vital, regular, weekly fashion. Amen? The collective authority of God rests on the church. Not just on a bunch of individual Christians that don't pray together, that don't work together. This authority I'm preaching about today, this fell on the church. And that's where it is. That's where it's functioning. That's why it's so terrible that when you are in the church, you don't avail yourself of it. But listen to this verse out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards you who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength. There's that power and strength. The strength of his might, which he brought about in Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And now here, here we're going to wrap it up. And he put all things in subjection, here's the authority, under his feet, and gave him, Jesus, as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all things. 
If Jesus is walking in the world today, he's walking in the church. If he's standing in the world today, he's standing in the church. He's walking and standing with people that are moving and walking. He's not just freelancing out there in the world, going around without his people, just working miracles and just doing things. No gospel being preached, no people praying. The Bible says this authority rests upon a spirit-filled praying church. So, praise God, I, I probably made the case for some people. I'm sure I didn't make the case for other people. People are made up their minds. They're going to believe what they believe. But it's not really what you believe. Right now, this morning, it comes down to what you're going to act on. What are you going to do with this? Stand with me.